Welcome back to the European show. This is episode 42 and now we're going to look back at this weekend's football which proves to be very, very interesting. And to join me in doing so, as always, is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. Thank you very much, Jack. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. And the first place we will start is La Liga, which has proved to be very interesting um, this past weekend with the biggest game obviously being between Real Madrid and Sevilla which saw Sevilla take a, 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 a comfortable lead against Real Madrid only for them to throw it away and Karim Benzema to once again score the winner. Yep, as I had said uh, in the preview to this game this is a match that always delivers in, in Spain it's always very entertaining and we indeed saw that um, we also saw some incompetent refing, like some genuinely baffling stuff on both ends I, I can't really call it biased refing. I think it was just like incompetent but I'll, I'll expand on that uh, a bit later uh, basically the scoring opens with a nice free kick from, from Ivan, Ivan Rakitic the, the wall, Real Madrid's wall opened up the, the way for him it was pretty stupid but, um, but still it was, it was a good free kick goal Sevilla goes 1-0 up then Eric Lamella uh, scores a 2-0 and it looks like Sevilla is cruising. They're walking over Real Madrid and they're in complete control of the game. And then we see our first questionable arbitrary decision. Um, Edward Camavinga, who's on a yellow, just fully slide tackles, just completely goes for Anthony Martial's ankles. There is clearly no intention of going for the ball and Martial was on a dangerous attack. Camavinga does not receive... A single booking and Martial gets gets a yellow card allegedly. I, I don't even know why. Presumably, maybe for saying something to the ref or maybe the ref thought he was faking it. But it's so absurd. So there, there was there was hands raised and people going, "Hey, what what the hell is this? Oh, the ref must be biased in favor of Real Madrid. Weird as hell." Uh, and then halftime goes in. Uh, halftime goes by Real Madrid as has kind of become habit, they walk into the second half completely revolutionized, playing so much better. Uh, they're actually tuned into the game and they're being much more creative with their passes, uh, being much more active on the ball and their efforts pay off quite quickly. Rodrigo uh, manages, manages to score uh, the 2-1 five minutes after halftime. He's been on a roll lately. I, when he arrived at Real Madrid, I did say how much he, I liked him the first few months he was there. He kind of went under the radar and uh, and kind of disappeared for a little bit. And now these last few weeks he's been popping back up. And it's lovely to see. But yeah, moving on. Then we see the next extremely questionable uh, refereeing decision. Uh, Real Madrid equalizes through a goal in which a cross is sent to, um, a cross is sent to Vinicius Jr. He clearly controls it with his shoulder. It is not a handball. Maybe even his chest. It just any angle you look at it, the ball is nowhere near like his arm. It's absolutely absurd. You can you can tell from every camera angle that it is not a handball. And then the ref claims it is, looks at VAR. I don't know how, but he interpreted it as a handball. It's absolutely ridiculous and rules out the goal. And now suddenly everyone's confused because everyone's like, oh, the ref was in favor of Real Madrid, but now they just made a nonsense decision. And that's what I basically meant by this game saw some of the most baffling refereeing I have seen. And 
I watch the Liga, I see a lot of stupid, I see a lot of terrible refereeing. However, Real Madrid did well to not let to not let that hold them back. They kept pushing for the equalizer throughout the rest of the game. Uh, they were dominant, uh, but nothing seemed to to come out of their efforts until the 82nd minute, in which Nacho scores uh, the 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 equalizer. Finally, this one did stand, and in the dying minutes of the game, in the 92nd minute, who else other than Karim Benzema? scores the winner to put the to close the curtain on an extremely dramatic and tense game. With that Real Madrid keep their lead and they push Sevilla further down the table as they seem to be dropping down closer to fourth spot uh, after allegedly being able to challenge for for the title as Jack said a few months ago. Yeah so obviously we've seen the downfall of Sevilla um, after they had a, a strong first half of the season which is obviously a shame. But yeah, um, Barcelona. So obviously we didn't speak about it because we recorded on that evening. Barcelona lost to Frankfurt, um, not in an embarrass in an embarrassing manner, um, especially due to the fact that their own fans decided to sell their tickets to the game to Frankfurt fans, and Frankfurt had taken thirty thousand people to the camp now, and. And basically, they ate all thirty thousand were let in, and that obviously proved a big, big difference for for Barcelona or for Frankfurt as they um, shocked Barcelona really and managed to overcome them to send them to the semi-finals. And then things were made worse in this week with Barcelona socios protesting that some of them sold their own tickets to their Frankfurt fans, and then they proceed to lose one 0 to relegation fighting Cadiz. Yep, it certainly seemed like Barcelona, that like the wind had been taken out of Barcelona's sails uh, after that game against Frankfurt. Uh, the team was just unmotivated. There was slow football. People were uncreative. Uh, we kind of saw players lapsing into old bad habits, like Frankie de Jong, who I criticised often while he was under Koeman because he just had dreadful games where he would just have no energy and just didn't seem like he cared. He had been revitalized under Xavi and went back to pretty much his best. And then this game, he seemed to be lapsing back into that. So Gino Dest is not really Barcelona quality. Uh, and he kind of showed it again today. Linglet, once again, sucks. Like, actually sucks. And then the front three of uh, Ferran Torres, Memphis and Dembele didn't do that much. It's definitely Dembele's worst game under, under Xavi so far. He had been revolutionary. Uh, and and revolutionized since the new coach's arrival, but in this game he just seemed to turn off. Just everybody in the game just didn't really seem. Yeah, they just they didn't have any energy. And then Cadiz uh, completely overran them. Uh, Lucas Perez's goal in the forty eighth minute just kind of sunk them even further down, and they didn't have that that capacity to pick themselves back up again. Barcelona still sit in second spot, but they are tied on points with Sevilla and Atleti. They do have a game in hand, but if they don't pick themselves up again soon, they could see themselves plummeting down the table again. Uh, but yeah, that also, interestingly enough, uh, was a win that brought Cadiz out of the relegation zone, which is relevant because Barcelona fans were chanting, you're going to get relegated to all the Cadiz players. So... 
that's how that's how life goes. And finally, Atletico Madrid beat Espanyol two one in a very in a game that was identical really to the first time they played each other this season. Yep, in the in the previous game that was played in the in the first half of the season, Raúl de Tomás scores uh, a one 0 goal after loose marking, and then Carrasco has to equalize, and then in the 99th minute, uh, an, an Atletic player scores the winner. In this game, Yannick Carrasco first scored, then Raúl de Tomás um, equalized, and then Carrasco put away a penalty in the 99th minute. Once again, this was a match which saw probably one of the most questionable refereeing decisions I've seen. Sure, I was ranting on a lot about the Real Madrid game, and I was like, oh, that handball from Vinicius Jr. wasn't a handball, and Camavinga uh, should have been sent off. But at the end of the day, you at least see the rough direction the refs are coming from. Uh, in this game, Kondogbia got sent off for actually the stupidest thing I have seen in my life. Pretty much, uh, an Espanol player takes a shot, Kondogbia slides in to block it, it hits the tip of his foot, and then just full speed hits his hand. It's, cl- it's clearly unintentional. If anybody doubts me, watch the replay of this. It is the most unintentional handball ever. Obviously, you're going to give it as a handball. You're going to say, all right, free kick on the edge of the box. Fair enough. But nowhere ever would anyone think to send off Kondogbia because he clearly intentionally doesn't go for it. He goes for the ball with his foot and it just bounces off and it hits his hand. But yeah, and then afterwards, the penalty itself was difficult to see as a handball. There's quite a few angles where you can't see it. But considering at the end of the day, uh, after the match, Raul Tomas literally came out and said, yeah, I know it was a handball. I felt it touch my hand. And you can see it. Like he puts his hands behind his back after touching the ball. That that's that got sorted out. And yeah, it was a very athletic game in the sense that they left until the last minute to actually do something because they sucked pretty hard in the first half of the game. But yeah, with that, Atletico keep, keep themselves in the race for uh, Champions League next season. Kind of sad that they actually still need to fight for this instead of having it solidified, especially considering they won the league last year. But it is what it is. And the second, third and fourth spots are all tied on points, which does make for some very exciting viewing, to be fair. So now we will have a break and then we'll be back with Syria and the Bundes. Welcome back from our break we're now going to look at Syria obviously another spanner was thrown in the works this weekend with Napoli playing Roma yesterday and that saw Napoli dropping points once again Insigne opened the scoring for Napoli through a penalty Roma then also proceeded to have a man sent off um, before a 91st minute equaliser from Stefan El Shirari, um ultimately meant Napoli have cocked it up again and that's another um, nail in the coffin for them in their race for or for, for the title which I think is now kind of all but over. There are still five games left. Considering that Napoli are currently four points behind Milan and Milan is on pretty good form and they still have left to play pretty easy games. Lazio could give them some trouble 
and Atlanta and Sassuolo are not the easiest, shall we say. But they have a fairly straight running left. Meanwhile, Napoli, we've seen them be quite shaky in this last stretch. They also don't have anything particularly difficult, but I don't really see them being finding a way to cut down on these points to top spot. Whereas on the other hand, for Roma, um, there's a potential that they could make it into the Champions League places. They are currently um, five points off Juventus, but with the way Juventus have been playing as of late, um, it's it's entirely possible that Roma could potentially snap up a, a Champions League place um, and improve on their European place, especially after the inconsistency that they've experienced this season. And there has been benefited by the fact that Juventus are in not as good a form as usual. They they needed a 95th minute winner from Vlahovic um, to draw with nine men Bologna. Um, and I just think that kind of sums up the way Juventus have been this whole season. There's no real point as expanding on it because we've made it clear um, how we have felt. Um, at the top, Inter beat Spezia 3-1 and Milan beat Genoa 2-0. Obviously, the gap is still two points between Milan and Inter with um, Inter Milan's game in hand. Uh, in midweek, we have the Coppa Italia with Inter playing Milan, um, where it currently stands at 0-0. And Juventus playing Fiorentina, which where it's 1-0 to Juventus. So now onto the Bundesliga. Dortmund beat Wolfsburg 6-1 in a game where it's five of those goals are scored by players who potentially probably won't be at Dortmund this time next year. Um, with Haaland scoring twice, Emre Chan, Manu Akanji, Axel Witzel and Tom Rota, who was a 17-year-old making his debut for Dortmund, <coughs> all, all scoring in, in a, you know, obviously runaway victory for them. And it also saw the debut of Bino Gittins, who is another Englishman who, funny enough, followed the same route as Jadon Sancho, leaving Manchester City's academy as well. Um, albeit at a much younger age, and has now made his debut for Dortmund. Um, obviously, for, for Wolfsburg, it shows how much of a clusterfuck it is at this team. The fact they have all these good young, or the, all these good players, individuals, whether that be Maxence Lacroix, um, Sebastian Bornout, Schlager, um, Lucas Nemeche, they have all these good players who you would think could perform well. It's just they're stuck with incompetent and an incompetent coach. And that was the case at the beginning of the season as well when they had Mark Van Bommel. Obviously, they brought Kofeld in in a way to change things around. And he, and he, he did for a brief period. But like after the winter break, it's just been shit once again. And, and Wolfsburg are definitely a long way off where everyone thought they would be especially due to the fact that they were in the Champions League earlier on this season um, but for Dortmund obviously there are constant transfer rumours around them and it's increasingly likely now um, that they are going to sign Nico Schlotterbeck um, from Freiburg which for 25 million is is a relatively good price, especially because he's probably the 
best young German defender around. And that does mean now that Dortmund, for some reason, have got themselves a good trio in their defence with Gregor Kobel, Nicolas Sule, and now Nico Schlotterbeck, um, which is obviously something you wouldn't really consider a very Dortmund thing to be doing, having competent players in these positions. Obviously, they're still a long way off um, being able to um, compete. As obviously, they, they still have weaknesses at the fullbacks in midfield. And obviously, the glaring one will be up front as Erling is increasingly likely now that Erling Haaland is going to join Manchester City. Um, which will obviously lead a big gaping hole in Dortmund's attack, which obviously will be very hard to fill. But in my opinion, um, obviously this, I, I, I genuinely just think it's probably the wrong move for Haaland to do, to move to um, Manchester City. I think <clears throat> it's actually a really great move for him. I know I don't like Manchester City very much, especially not after their game against Atleti, but you do have to recognise they are building a special team. They're already they're already good, uh, but obviously with with a striker as incredibly reliable as Haaland, he would. We've briefly gone over this, but just just to remind you, Haaland right now is playing with a midfield that is sometimes very good and sometimes very not good. If every single week he has Mares, Bernardo Silva, obviously Kevin De Bruyne feeding him like excellent opportunities he's going to absolutely thrive and obviously he's going to be coached by Pep Guardiola one of the best coaches of our generation I think that in terms of development and in terms of fame it is absolutely one of the best things he could do and then not to mention uh, uh, however it's worth noting that Haaland has been quite injury prone uh, this last season He, he kind of forced himself to play on this weekend and I think that if he doesn't manage to sort this out, I mean, there's not much that he can personally do himself, obviously. But uh, if, if he kind of stays stuck in this loop, I think it could be very, very difficult for him to really settle in and become as elite as he wants to be at Man City. He's definitely a long way off the the man that he was, the, the striker he was last season. Um, that's a given. And it'd be interesting yep. to see if he will be able to hit similar heights at Manchester City. I mean, that is that is mostly because of his injuries, to be fair, man. <laughs> like, calm down. Um, Bayern Munich, um, they played Bielefeld and won 3-0. Um, no Robert Lewandowski goal. I think with, he's probably not going to break the record. Um, and what's interesting is, will Lewandowski be at Bayern next season? Um, that's That's another big question uh, as it looks like Bayern are going to extend the contract of Manuel Neuer and Thomas Muller which was of ease um, but it's obviously Robert Lewandowski who is causing the issues um, but what it does mean is, is Bayern can win the title next weekend and who, they, who are they playing next weekend? Brissy Dortmund um, so it will be interesting to see how um, it, it pans out. Who knows? Dortmund could win and start the most almighty collapse possible, which could see Dortmund win the league. But that is unlikely. Um, Bruce, you mentioned Gladbach played Cologne in the Rhine derby. And any sort of hope 
minimal hope of European football was gone within 35 minutes as Gladbach found themselves 3-0 down um, to Cologne thanks to goals from Anthony Modeste, Florian Kainz and Ljubicic. Um, Brio Lombardo scored a consolation but it was once again a, a tragic performance from Borussia Mönchengladbach and it just kind of sums up the season really and it definitely shows that if they are not able to get things right over this summer um, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we got back a batting relegation because um, as long as they keep Adi Hutton in charge or as long as things don't change from what they are now they are not going to improve whatsoever and they are going to be fighting relegation um, I mean in all fairness they were fighting relegation for a good part of this season as well so that is true but I'm talking they're going to be in the depths of it like they're going to be yeah. 16th, 15th, those sort of positions. Um, whereas Cologne have strengthened their chances of, of making it into the European places. Um, Frankfurt, obviously, we mentioned their European heroics against Barcelona. It's worth mentioning they went on to lose 2-0 this weekend against Union Berlin. So it clearly shows that they're putting all their eggs into one basket when, when it comes to the Europa League. And finally... Leipzig, who are also in the semi-finals of the Europa League, um, played by Leverkusen and won 1-0, thanks to a goal from Dominic Sabozlai and Christopher Kunku got the assist. Um, so, this, in midweek, we do have the Pokal of um, semi-finals, which sees Hamburg play Freiburg and Leipzig play Union Berlin. What's interesting is four of those Three of those teams are in European places as it stands, Leipzig in the Champions League, Freiburg in the Europa League and Union in the Conference League and obviously Hamburg are in the second division. Um, what it does mean is if any of those three teams that I mentioned in the European places maintains their European place and wins the tight and wins the Pokal, so say Leipzig win the Pokal, um, then that would mean there's a, a, an extra European place up for grabs in seventh which obviously for the likes of Cologne and Hoffenheim and potentially Mainz, um, it, it's going to be crucial um, if for hoping that Hamburg don't win the Pokal um, as it will mean another positions up for grabs and make the race more intense. But obviously some people want to see Hamburg win because obviously they're a second division team and they're back in European places and back in Europe before they're actually back in the Bundesliga itself um, which would be interesting so now we're going to have our break and then we'll be back with Liga and some other football Welcome back from our goal song break. You just heard the Lawn's um, goal song. So Nick, what do you rate it out of out of ten? It's a bit strange. Not my favorite, but it is. It does have some fun to it. Uh, it's not bad. I'll give it a six out of ten. I'm gonna give it a six as well. It's it's good, but it's it's just above average. Um. So now on to Liga. Standard. Uh, PSG beat Marseille 
in not a convincing manner at all with thanks to a Kylian Mbappe penalty in the first half. Marseille actually did have a goal also ruled out in the second half, which it stopped. Um, a, a, a draw, um, but it does mean PSG are one step closer to um, the league and title, which was a given, really. Um, yeah, if, if they weren't top, then uh, I wouldn't be really... Yeah, I don't really know. But yeah, I, I think it also just shows the drop-off in quality. It either shows the increase in quality that PSG have, which I think is wrong because we've seen their performances in Europe. I just think it shows the drop-off in quality of the teams around them. So obviously with the fact that Lille were literally purged of, of their manager as well as some of their good players. Um, and obviously we've, we have seen the resurgence of Marseille. Um, but obviously we've also seen the decline of Modico and Lyon. I think we, they've all like... I think the drop-off in quality around PSG is why we've seen such a one-sided title race this season. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what it is, uh, but it just seems that football owners, football club owners in France just can't seem to manage their teams properly. Even PSG isn't... It, it's adequately managed. It survives. But, uh, but then all of their rivals... They just have terrible owners who keep cocking on the club. Like Lille, for example, the most striking example, you mentioned you mentioned them. L- legitimately, they had such a good thing going. And then basically, Galtier gets ousted. And, and now the team's collapsed. And now they can't do anything. It's so stupid. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting that Lille are in some sort of financial dire state. So because they kind of, of had to, owners. Yeah, they kind of had to sell some of their players to... To balance the issues they're having but yeah um, it will be interesting to see how Nice do next season as obviously we've seen the first season under Gautier they're languishing around fourth um, which is obviously a big increase after last season but it will be interesting to see if he can take them that one step further again and hopefully help them challenge PSG um, speaking of poorly run clubs Leon thrash Bordeaux 6-1 um, Bordeaux who around 14 years ago were challenging at the top of Liga and actually won the title as well are likely to go down um, which is obviously a shame just to show how much they plummeted um, in such a period of time whereas Monaco um, have somehow managed to turn their season around they beat Rennes 3-2 and that does mean they are three points of third place now which is a European qualifier spot and so they're on a good run of form and it's probably entirely likely that they are somehow going to end up in Europe next season after quite a, a terrible start. Um, so it's good to see that they've managed to turn it around. Um, so PSV beat Ajax in, in the Dutch Cup in quite a, in a shocking manner. Yeah, it is, it is a bit of a shock. Most people do consider Ajax to be the stronger team in the country. But it was a good game, and, and PSV had been playing well in the lead-up to it. Uh, and they did deserve the win. They began the game in, in good fashion. Um, however, Gravenberg, who is absolutely stellar, might I add, uh, puts Ajax 1-0 up. Uh, and then shortly after, Tadic scored a 2-0, but it was ruled out by VAR. Walking to the second half, PSV pressed harder than ever. 
and they scored two goals in quick succession. The first coming from Eric Gutierrez, uh, two minutes after the halftime, uh, after halftime restarted, and then two minutes after that, Cody Gakpo uh, turns the game around in favor of PSV. Ajax got unlucky once again with the VAR with Davy Klassen's equalizer also being ruled out, and the rest of the game essentially saw uh, PSV just holding back Ajax's attack and. Yeah, they just couldn't do anything more about it. But in the end, PSV won and they managed to turn the game around against their bitter, bitter rivals. It is worth noting that um, Roger Schmidt is not going to be in charge of PSV as he's going to Benfica. And they're replacing him with Ruud van Nistelrooy, who has been a coach at PSV for, for quite a while now. So we'll be interested to see how he does. Um, but obviously, the main man who's being talked about the most in Dutch football is, is Eric ten Hag. Um, he has seemingly come across in the media as quite agitated um, now, especially with all the talk about him moving to Manchester United, which is is most likely going to happen. Um, but obviously, we're clearly seeing it affecting him, and maybe in some subliminally affecting his team as well. Yeah, I mean, it does make sense. It's getting to the point where he's being borderline harassed with questions that obviously he's not going to answer. He, he's a professional who's currently doing a fine job at the club he's at, and he has trust from his players. And now these journalists are nonstop asking about nothing but the, the Manchester United job. So yeah, I, I do feel for him. And, and I think that it, it's, it's not really something that there's a lot that he can do about other than basically just act like he's saying, just don't speak, don't speak, saying I'm not going to answer your questions. And it would be it'd be nice if, if the journalist could calm down a little bit. But yeah, obviously, yeah, like like you said, he's almost certainly indeed going to uh, Manchester United. We're not going to ask him his personal opinion on that. But, <laughs> but Jack, what do you think of the move? Do you think it'll be right for him or, or what do you think? He has a big, big challenge on his hands because obviously... Ralph Ranić himself has said they probably need a whole new team, apart from one or two players. Um, so obviously it's a very big challenge that Ten Hag has on his hands, probably bigger than anything he's obviously ever done before. And I think it will be very hard for him to to be someone of a. So I'm not writing him off completely. Let me make that clear. Um, he's not going. It's going to take a while to see if he's going to be some sort of a success because obviously he is relatively. He's only really experienced in in professional German football, um, as he's also as he's only really any other other football he's um, has experienced in his German youth football. Um, so he he he's not really experienced in other leagues. And you could have said the same about Ralph Ranić when he took charge. Um, and obviously we've seen how that's panned out um, but yes you can say oh he's managed he beat he beat Juventus he beat Real Madrid he took this team to the semi-finals of the Champions League they've managed to bearing in mind that was three years ago yeah. and and also and also they got single-handedly knocked out by Lucas Moura so it kind of shows you that in terms of like game management and I guess like uh, what's it called control he he doesn't quite have that for his teams yet. Obviously, it was a young team as well, so it wasn't entirely his tactics alone. The players got nervous, but still, there's something that can be said about it. Like he he has had uh, patches of success outside of the Netherlands, 
But yeah, he hasn't really managed, as Jack said, that was three years ago, to, to maintain that like some other teams. And it is also worth noting that obviously this season, yes, they topped their Champions League group and convincingly beat Dortmund. Um, but then they proceeded to lose to Benfica in the next next round. Um, so obviously, um, it will be interesting to see how he how he does, and especially with what he's going to be dealing with, because he's being thrown into this group who have there's a lot of egos in there, especially one man um, himself. Yeah, well, absolutely, because the, the, the Ten Hag's main specialty, or at least what he's been doing for the last few years. Is playing with a group of with a tightly tightly knit group of players. Uh, sure, there's some superstars, or, or not necessarily superstars, but people who shine, like Anthony, who clearly he's got a bit of an ego and, and he likes to show off a lot. But but Ten Hag is, is he is still knits him into the group, and overall, yeah, it's 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 tightly knit, and there's not really it, it feels very unified. And there's a very clear style of football that they play, and that's going to go into Man United, which feels not very united despite the name uh and also they don't really play at anything they have uh big differences in quality uh from player to player that back line is tragic to watch play and so i think that uh that's not really that's pretty out of ten Hag's depth i don't think he'll be very comfortable or very good at handling the situations that will be thrown at him at man united so I think that, yeah, not only does he have a, a difficult job in his hands, but he, he's going to struggle at least at the beginning is what, I'm, what, I'm, what I reckon. Um, finally, Ghent played Anderlecht in a, in a perfectly named Crocky Cup. Um, they beat them on penalties 4-3 after drawing 0-0 um, um, in normal time. So obviously we've spoken about how Anderlecht have obviously seen a massive turnaround and they nearly continued their rise with winning winning the, the cup but um they came up short in in probably an unlike in in one of the most painful ways to lose a football game so yeah anyway that's it for today thank you for listening please like us follow us subscribe and yeah we'll be back at later on in the week yep thank you very much and we will see you all later